Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. Joining me yet again, of course, my partner in, I guess, crime, some would say. Or at least in late night tacos after a Clippers game at, I guess, Crypto.com Arena now, it has to be referred to. Oh, man. Tamaris, are is... you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. You don't like that, do you? You don't like the name. I know. I know. You could have gone partner in COD right there. would have been, would have been, would have been, boom, the setup right there. Alley-oop. That's right. Double shot buddies. Stay one partner in taco slash crypto.staples.com. <laughs> Staples, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell me what's going on, buddy. How you been? Uh been all right. Been all right. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm a little excited that they have a bit of a road trip here, so we can, um, I think the word is settle down. You know, just kind of unwind a bit more at home. You sleep, you sleep as well. Not, not get home at two a.m. So, um, no, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing all right. You know, I got a new TV today, so that was pretty cool. Um, flex. Setting it up. Flex. Yeah, that, that is a flex, yes. Um, no, so like I, ha- I had a TV in my bedroom, and I got the same exact brand. I got I got a Vizio. I, like, I don't know why I just like the Vizio TVs. And so I got the same size Vizio I had before. It's just a n- way newer model, and I've just been messing around on it. It's got the new app set up on it. Uh, my old TV had apps, but... I never used them because the TV was like six or seven years old. So it wasn't fully updated with like the new app system, but the new smart cast system they have is really cool. So I've been messing around with that today and I have a Roku, but because of the way that they have their stuff set up on the Vizio, I haven't really had to use the Roku. All the apps are already there on the smart cast. It's making life a little bit better. So, you know, I've been doing that. So that's been fun. Um, I got a new air fryer. So I need to use my man. It's just splurging, bro. You know, Black Friday was like two months ago. Okay, so pet peeve: Black Friday deals stink. They're not good deals. Yeah, they're not great. They just, they just, yeah, they're not great. It's a scam. I agree. It's Mm -hmm. Black Friday deals are a scam. I've literally seen Macy's in the weeks before increase the price and then drop it back down for Black Friday as a sale price. I'm like, that's a that's what you sold it for before, like a month ago. So like, what? No, that's literally what stores do. That is the that is the store game. The deal that you get on Black Friday is basically a deal you can get literally any other time of year. It's not some crazy price that only happens once a year. Yeah, yeah. So don't fall for it, people. Yeah, don't 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 fall for that. And if you are a person who fell for it, I mean it happens. I used to fall for it too, so you know. It, <laughs> I would say video games. Video games are one thing that are discounted. Uh, yeah, more than others. So that might be the only thing. TVs, although TVs are kind of easier to find nowadays, but video games for sure. I always shout about video games on Black Friday. All right, so let's talk Clippers. They played eight games since we last did this. They're three and eight, or excuse me, three and five in the last eight. Not three and eight. That would have been pretty bad. Uh, three and five ain't great, but it's a lot better than what it could have been, uh, especially considering how that Denver game that they won was kind of going for a while. So they lost to Minnesota. They lost on the road to Phoenix. They lost to Memphis, and then they ended up losing – Two road games, one to the Pelicans, one to the Spurs. They beat the Hawks at home. They beat the Nuggets at home after coming back from down 25 in the third. That sounds like a familiar story. And they beat the Pacers and ended up being a shootout on uh, on Monday afternoon. At, 
I mean, you know, it's Staples Center. It's still Staples Center to me. So Monday at Staples Center, you know, the Clippers want to shoot at 139-133. Basically, they're 22-23. and 23. I think as things stand, they're now ninth in the in the West because Minnesota won on, on Tuesday night, which pushed the Clippers down into the nine seed momentarily. They're currently a half game behind Minnesota and the Lakers for seventh and eighth. Um, that half game is basically just in the loss column because the Clippers are 22 and 23. Those two teams are 22 and 22 each. So there you go. Um, as things stand three and five in the last day, it's really not the worst thing, right? Oh, absolutely not. Considering, um, you know, they've had guys in COVID protocols. I mean, most of their guys are out, but they've had guys in COVID protocols or dealing with, you know, COVID after effects a bit. Um, they've had, no stars. I mean, again, they're, they're, this team is just constructed around PG and Kawhi, and you're basically asking this group of role players who are supposed to be stars in their role to just elevate their roles completely and elevate their game. So I think all in all, you, this is – I don't think you could ask too much more. I mean, I think like, – like I said to you a few minutes ago, like I think when you look at like a game-to-game basis, sure, there are things you could probably pick apart. But um, I think as a whole when you look at it, when you consider they haven't had PG – for an extended period of time. Kawhi hasn't been there all year. Uh, Marcus missed the first month. Nico missed, I think, about 15 to 20 games by now. So uh, I think they've, they've done about what you could expect out of them, all things considered. Yeah, at the end of the day, considering where they're at, and, I, and we're just going to run through it real quick. They've played 45 games. The only Clipper to play all 45 is Eric Bledsoe. Uh, Terrence Mann's only missed one game, so he's at 44. Reggie Jackson's missed four. Those were for health and safety pro- uh, protocols. Evita Zubats has also missed four. Those were also for health and safety protocols. Luke Kennard's missed 10. Now he's missed nine in a row due to health and safety protocols. He missed one game prior to that due to a hip issue. But Luke Kennard is now out of the league's health and safety protocols. He is questionable for Wednesday night's game. Uh, against the Denver Nuggets on the road due to the, was it like return to competition reconditioning or whatever the hell it's called. So yeah, he should play though. Yeah, he should play. Yes. So Canards missed 10 of the 45. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein's missed 14 of the, of, of, of the uh, 45, but one of those was a DNP at the beginning of the year, but he missed 13 games in a row being out with a sprained ankle. Um, PG has missed 19 games. Nicholas Batum's missed 19 games. Sergi Baca's missed 19. Marcus has missed 21. P- uh, Kawhi Leonard's obviously missed the entire year so far. We're literally talking about their most important players, consistently their most important players, missing multiple games at a time throughout the season. And for this team to be one game under 500 is almost like a miracle in a lot of ways. And especially, which is going to lead me into this, which is especially considering how since coming out of COVID protocols, Reggie Jackson has not been great. He's averaging four, if you want to get to these specific numbers, 13.8 points per game, almost said 14, but it's 13.8 points per game. And he's done it on 33.6% shooting, shooting under 30% from three in that time. That's not great. Um, Now I will say his second half against Indiana on Monday afternoon was pretty damn good. He scored 21 of his 26 in the second half. And I believe he had like 15 in the fourth. A lot of those were free throws, but he was able to get to the line. He was able to get downhill. So when you look at it from that point of view, maybe Reggie's starting to come around, but those 10 games have not been good. And if you look at those 10 games and you go, well, they're four and six in those 10, 
and PG hasn't played any of them. They've been without Luke Kennard for nine of them. And you start to realize Reggie's not been this Reggie's been pretty bad and they're winning almost half of those games. You, you kind of just take that. I mean, in the games that he's, I think I saw the site yesterday in the games that he scored at least 20 points, I believe they're 10 and one. So that's been kind of, kind of, I don't want to say a key, but it's, it's just a good sign when he scores at least 20 points, they usually win. That's a correct stat, by the way, 10 and one. Yeah. I mean, they're 11 and one. If you, if you know, they're 11 and yeah. So t- 10 and one with, with 20 points. And I, I, most of those games, he's shooting roughly 42, 44, 50%, 57, 41. So he has good shooting games. Um, I, I don't know if it's, if it's, you know, we talked to him the other day. I don't know if it's, if it's the COVID after effects, if it's returning from a, a long layoff with no playing at all. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, what was he? Didn't he have a, a, a thigh? They got hit in the t- a thigh or something before the before the COVID protocol. So um, the Clippers again, you just add to the list of things they've had to deal with uh, to to win as many games as they have been with some of the guys they've had struggling to shoot as much as they have. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about Marcus. Marcus has had some pretty bad shooting games as well prior to um, you know he had a streak of twenty point games and then kind of found a slump right alongside Reggie, and they were still able to win that Denver game. Um, able to win the Indiana game. So um, he, he, this really just feels like a, a chug along, try to find wins when you can get wins, try to find buckets when you can get buckets, and uh, just just kind of chug along. Like I, I'm, I'm out of kind of ways to explain it. Like this season has been so up and down, and um, it, it's just had so much adversity thrown in their way um, that – you got to just take what you can get with this team, I would say. Uh, number one, any win that the team gets, you kind of don't care how they get it at this point. Like, Absolutely. Process, Absolutely. process is awesome. The process to get a win is awesome. Okay, that's cool. They just need to win it. It doesn't matter how. It, the process can look like crap. It doesn't matter. They just need to win it. Number two, if you have a second, I want you to type this into your Google machine. I want you to go to basketball reference and type in Reggie Jackson's name if you can. And I want you to tell me right now the two nicknames that come up for Reggie Jackson on his basketball reference page if you can. I already have it open. <laughs> it's Mr. June and Big Government. Congratulations, Justin. You made it. I've made it. I've officially made it in life. <laughs> big Big Government is now on a basketball reference page. This is the proudest achievement I've ever had in my entire life. I can retire now. Um, I don't know where I'm going to retire to, but it, it, it's looking like maybe you should Boca. retire. You should retire to where Reggie was born, which is Portadone, 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 Italy. Portadone. I don't How like when you try it? to pronounce Italian things. I'm trying my best here, buddy. Come on, <laughs> buddy, I'm baby. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. trying but, here. Sorry, it's it's pronounced Perdanone. 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 I respect the Anyways, attempt more than you'll. I, res- yeah. I respect the attempt more than you'll ever know. But anyway, I think I think you should retire where Reggie was born, just just in honor of big government himself. I think it would That's be a true, true honor. Yeah. <laughs> if I retired there, and when I pass away in life, on my headstone they need to put the reference to big government, and I will have officially died a happy man. So. That's all I need to say about that at this, uh, at this point in time. 
let's talk Amir Coffee. The last time we talked about Amir, we talked we, we we really did highlight how important he had been to the team because when you ended up looking at it going into the game against Minnesota when we last recorded, he had a six game stretch where he was averaging ten points, five rebounds, two assists. Well, they've played a few more games since then, Tomer. He has not stopped the hot streak. In the eight games since, he started six of them. He's averaging 13 points, four rebounds, and nearly four assists on 51% shooting, 44% from three, and he's taking nearly five threes a game. He had a career-high tying 21 points against Atlanta and followed that up against the Spurs with 20 points. So, and oh, that doesn't even account for him having 18 points, seven assists, five rebounds, four steals in the Denver win. And he played the entire second half of the Denver game, logged 43 minutes that night. This is a guy who I don't think has given up that starting spot anytime soon. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we, 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 talk, we talked about this. I um, can't remember when, but we, 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 talked, we had this discussion. Uh, just that um, the way that he's been able to um, just bring a, a, a calming presence and kind of all-around presence as far as um, even rebounding defense we knew he could bring, but the, the shot maker from outside, the – the attacking the paint, which is something the starting unit has kind of lacked uh, over the last couple of games, the ability to finish inside. Uh, he's really just brought absolutely everything they need. Uh, and then some, I mean, he had seven assists against the Pacers, I believe. So like he's, he's literally doing everything. It, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's just, he's, he's been exactly what they need and his development um, and kind of, it couldn't have come at a better time for the Clippers is what I'm trying to say. So uh, I just don't see how you kind of, um, past that like like send him back to the bench because he's been he's been so important i think that when a when a pg or a Kawhi returns you could probably just go with a kind of a big starting lineup with the mirror at the two um and and kind of run from there maybe move nico to the bench um but yeah i mean amir's just just been fantastic um i think you know the next step is probably playmaking in his in his development like he has a shot making down i think uh he's shooting pretty well the last couple games uh, I think just playmaking will probably be his next his next his next step because he's kind of you know you, you're seeing the growth defensively you're seeing the growth as a shot maker and, and, and attacking the paint but I think as a playmaker and passing out of the attention that he's now getting uh, is going to be big for him. What I found really interesting is specifically that Indiana game for him. First half they let him be the table setter. He was the right. guy bringing the ball up. He was the guy initiating the offense. It wasn't Reggie Jackson and it wasn't Marcus Morris and it wasn't Nico Batum. It, it, it was, all right, Amir, you're our lead ball handler. Make stuff happen. And 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 it worked. Um, now, it wasn't all just because of him, but it was very prevalent that he was a big reason why. And you look at him and you realize he's not a high turnover guy. Um, in his 10 games as a starter, 34 assists, only eight turnovers. He doesn't turn the ball over and he, and he has the ball quite a bit. He has the ball a pretty fair amount. Um, his usage rates only 14% as a starter, but he handles the ball a lot more than his usage rate would tell you. Cause usage rate only accounts for like free throw attempts, field goal attempts, turnovers, assists. So he, he is handling the ball a lot more than that kind of uh, takes in, into account. But you look at him as a starter, 10 games, 30 minutes a game. He's averaging 12 points, five rebounds, three assists almost a 70% true shooting percentage, which 
I'm sorry, that is not sustainable. As much as I would love that to be sustainable, and I'm sure the team would love that to be sustainable, it's not. He's not a 49% three-point shooter, which is what he's shooting as a starter. Like it's, that, That's not sustainable. But I think the confidence is sustainable. I think we've seen something in him that's allowed him to unlock this next level of his game. And I thought it was very interesting, the dynamic post-game on Monday, between because Amir and Nico did their post-games together. And there was a nice little dynamic there. And I think we saw a nice little hint into what I believe is a mentor and a, and a student, which is, I think, I think Nico has taken Amir under his wing and really like kind of teach him and have him learn. And I think Amir's just soaked it up as a sponge at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you sh- they've had, uh, this isn't their, there's their first post game together, but in, in in the last couple of press conferences, Nico has referenced Amir as someone he sees as like a younger version of himself, and you know Amir has kind of echoed a similar sentiment where it's like that's kind of where he wants to be, like a star in his role kind of thing. So, um, yeah, Nico's the perfect veteran for a guy like Amir, uh, and I, I just want to you you talked about the confidence that Amir has. Um, I think it, it's worth noting that it seems like a lot of young players on this team, well, a lot of players in general. But a lot of young players on this team, um, confidence really isn't an issue. And I think you know a, a lot of credit goes to Ty and the coaching staff for kind of kind of instilling that belief in you know not having not having to worry about like walking on eggshells and having to worry about making mistakes. Like you can go out there if you have three turnovers, whatever, as long as you're playing the right way and trying to make the right pass. Um, I, I think you know Ty deserves some credit for that because he he really is is is. He's a player's coach, and he's really shown that it's more than just the turnover, just the mistakes part of the game. He's even said himself, we have a, a lot of young guys playing, and those guys are going to make mistakes. Like, in the moment, it might be frustrating, but you have to learn that they have to learn through it. It's kind of like a trial-by-fire thing. And if he sees them giving the effort and playing the right way, uh, he, he can live with that. And I think you're seeing that confidence that he's been able to have in those guys kind of bloom in guys like Terrence last year and Amir this year. Uh, even, I would even say, Xavier Moon has looked good. Uh, Keon Johnson in his minutes has looked good. So, like, everyone, top to bottom, uh, but the young guys specifically have looked really confident. I don't think that's, like, by mistake at all. So, the big story coming out of the Indiana game was what actually took place in the Indiana game. Clippers score a season-high 139 points. Um, Indiana had a lot to do with that, to be honest. Their defense uh, was not great. It was so not great that I've never had a post game where, or at least seen a post game where the team that played the team with the poor defense openly talked about how the defense helped them. So I thought that was actually rather interesting. Most times it's like, Oh, we, we, we moved the ball. Well, blah, blah, blah. This was like, yeah, they played a style that allowed us to get easy things. And it's like, Oh, okay. But that brings me to the big story. Nicholas Batum. In 20 minutes in the second half, scored 32 points. He had a 32-point second half, by far smashing his career high for points and a half. It was 24, and he dropped 32. He is only the second player all season to score at least 32 and a half. The the other guy who did it was Giannis, uh, who had 35 and a a half. Um. Look, if you're if you're in a stat with Giannis and yourself, odds are you did something pretty cool and pretty good. 
And boy, Nico let everyone know that in post game, huh? <laughs> I think the funniest thing was uh was uh when he was asked about joining Steph Giannis and uh Jalen Brown. Uh, I was I think I was Joey Lynn. Shout out to that question. But um Nico was just like he was like, What do you think about that? And he's like he shrugged, he like he's like, I don't know. He's like, I just and then he goes, Good for them for joining me, I guess. And we just all burst out laughing. That was one of the funniest moments uh this year by far. Uh, but I, that's just kind of who he is. He's going to do, you know, what he's asked to do, whether it's getting three blocks, getting, you know, cutting to the basket, whether it's hitting those threes that he gets, is he's going to do whatever whatever he's asked to do. And um, I think that's all really you can ask for out of your veteran like that. Um, yeah, we talked to Reggie. Would Reggie like was like, the, would, would you like to tell the class how many dribbles he needed to get 32 points? It was just one dribble on all of his baskets. He had seven three-pointers. He, which I think you you mentioned this. I think you had the correct one, which is one of the dribbles came on a sidestep three pointer. He pump fake, took a sidestep dribble, and then hit a three. Um, the rest of them were cuts to the basket, layups, dunks around the rim. So he took one dribble to score his thirty two second half points. So quite a feat uh, for Nick Batum to do that. Uh, I, I remember when 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 we we talked to Reggie. Reggie was like, um, "Yeah, I told Nico like you know what you did in the second half," and he's like. No, he scored 30 points and he's like, oh, okay. And Nico was just so casual about it when he scored 32. I mean, it was incredible. It was, it was an incredible game, incredible performance, much needed, I think, for him and the team. So hopefully it's something that can kind of spark them going on this uh, eight-game road trip. Yeah, it felt like a little bit of a weight off their shoulders. Now, not all the weight, but a little bit. Uh, what also helps getting some weight off the shoulders is Isaiah Hartenstein's back. He's played the last two games. He got the key second half minutes against Indiana. He's looked good. I mean, my real main takeaway is there's a little bit more juice with him on the floor than with Serge, which isn't an indictment of Serge at all. It's just how Isaiah's played all year. So it's it's good for the team to get Isaiah back. And Luke Kennard's about to return, so that also is going to help the bench unit or maybe even a possible starting unit if if they decide to kind of put Luke and Amir in the starting unit together. And then put uh, Nico back on the bench unit to help the bench. I don't know. I also don't know if you can really de- like mess with kind of the chemistry that the starting unit is slowly starting to find. So that'll be the interesting thing. You mentioned the eight-game road trip, but the news came out before the team embarked on their eight-game road trip, which is on Tuesday. The news dropped that the Paul George update that we've been waiting for is that there really is no new update. It's that we have to wait another couple of weeks. They're going to wait to see how the injury continues to heal. And they're going to decide and determine what the next step is going to be. In my opinion, this was kind of a non-update. And I understand why people think it might be a big update. And I won't really disagree with them if that's how they feel. That's You're more than entitled to think that. I view it personally as this is what I always expected. Because the nature of the injury that they talked about, it was basically like, in my mind and what I'd seen others say is, we're not going to really know anything for six to eight weeks. So anything three to four weeks isn't going to tell you anything. There's going to be a few more weeks. And it kind of led into my thinking of we're not going to get an update till all-star break possibly. So I just don't think there's anything to take out of this update. Now, others might disagree. I'm curious to hear where you fall on it. But that's for me. That's how I view it is I don't think it's a big deal of an update. Uh, well, so I, I view it as if if if, if they weren't, happy with if the results weren't good in this rest period they would have i think opted for surgery or they would have 
likely, you know, maybe maybe they have privately, but I think that there's no point in wasting time, um, you know, not getting the surgery if you need the surgery. So I think, in a way, it's it's them maybe going, okay, maybe there's a chance we can avoid this. Let's give it a little bit more rest and see what we can kind of get out of this. Maybe he can avoid surgery, which will hold him out for an extended period of time. That Tommy John surgery is no joke. You've talked, you told me all about it. It sounds like no joke at all. So, um, it sounds like it, the update isn't really that he's going to miss a few more weeks. So I think we kind of knew that, but I think the update is more so like, it, it, you know, like reading between the lines, like, okay, there's a chance he might be able to come back from this without having to go through surgery, but we want to double check. We want to make sure, give it a few more weeks and kind of see from there. That's kind of how I viewed it. Um, and I, it also kind of does read as a non-update because in terms of his coming back, I mean, we knew he wasn't going to come back within four weeks. It was just a reevaluation date, not a return date. So him being out in another few weeks is not surprising. I think it's more so the fact that he wasn't already ruled to have surgery. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, all right, let's give it a few more weeks and see where we go from there. Yeah. I w- Here's where I fall on things too. And I think I understand there's a general feeling amongst the fan base of the medical staff is completely insane and they're botching this yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and that, like I've seen fans say he should just get the surgery. Don't delay the inevitable. My viewpoint on it is that's very easy to say when it's not you getting the surgery. Um, and I don't think people understand how invasive that surgery is. It's a lot more problematic and potential for re for re-injury and risk among baseball players. But we haven't ever really seen this injury in basketball players leading to the actual uh, Tommy John surgery. Now, the typical timeline of a Tommy John surgery for baseball pitchers is they don't return for at least 10 months. And most times they don't, they're out for 18 months before they return as a pitcher. I don't think that's the case for basketball players. Everything I've read as far as it pertains to basketball lists that you can kind of come back roughly around eight to to nine to 10 months as a basketball player, because as a pitcher, it's a thrower's injury your elbow isn't rotating in basketball the same way it does in baseball. Now that doesn't now, now that's only talking about as a shooter, when you're dribbling, there's a lot more downward action with your elbow that turns a little bit into a thrower's injury. So maybe it's a longer timeline, but we're talking about a, a surgery that probably at the minimum would keep him out eight months. So if he gets it now, yes, theoretically he would be, he could be ready for the start of next season, but Surgery is the last resort. Surgery is the only option you go to when physical therapy and rest and rehabilitation doesn't work. So them waiting to see what their options are, seeing how he feels, seeing how he's recovering, seeing if the pain has gone down, seeing if the stress load and the the discomfort has gone down for him at all, if he's able to handle a basketball, seeing if that's okay. That's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't think this is a thing where you just rush someone into the operating room and say, well, take a look at his arm, do what you need to do. We'll see you in nine months. I don't think that's the, the Absolutely correct not. cause. Absolutely I think not. That, that to me is the nuclear option. I think that's the button you press when the rehabilitation doesn't go well. And in a couple of weeks, if they find out, so, so let's take this to the all-star break then. Okay. Let's say we get to the all-star break. They do another reevaluation and they go, you know what? You need surgery. 
and he goes through the surgery, people are going to sit there and say, you should have got the surgery a month earlier. And I understand that frame of that frame of mind and that line of thinking because uh, hindsight is always 2020, but that month might've also given them the time to make that definitive answer a lot easier in terms of surgery rather than doing it now. So you miss a, a month of next season or two months of next season. Okay. It's a lot better to, to wait and to see if you don't need surgery than yeah. just opting for the surgery just to get it done. Because if you get the surgery done, his year is over. Like there's no coming back from this, this season. If you just rest and rehabilitate, there's a chance he can play again this season. And no person really wants to go into the knife for such an invasive surgery, such as Tommy John surgery. So kind of just wait and see. I'm not at the point where I'm like, just rush him in there, get it done and move on. I'm totally fine with the timeline they're on at this point. Yeah. I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I just surgery it should absolutely be considered a last resort. And I, I, I would assume that's kind of how they're operating. Cause uh, if you do have surgery, this is going to affect next season. Um, and so I think you want to be as sure as you can be before you commit to such a, um, you know, invasive, long, you know, long road ahead kind of procedure where um, it, it, I also don't think there's, there's, there's much of a precedent for like how it affects how NBA players react to surgery and come back from it. I think we've seen MLB players often because, you know, pitchers, but I don't think NBA players have had to have surgery before. I think most of them kind of uh, have rest. They rest, they have a rest period and they come back from it within, you know, I think even Nick Batum had one a torn UCL and he came out uh, six to eight weeks after, I think it was eight weeks after it was back in Charlotte in 2017, I want to say. So like, I don't think we've ever seen NBA players have to undergo surgery for it. So I'm kind of curious to see like how he's doing and Del break and kind of go from there. But um, like you said, surgery should absolutely be a last option, last resort, not something you kind of want to just take lightly uh, given the severity and how it just can affect your probably career outlook and, I guess the organization's um, future as well. Like how do they approach free agency? How do they approach trades? How do they approach the rest of their, there's just so much to, to, to gather. So it's not like it's an easy option. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, you end up looking at things and the, the website in street clothes has this article from October, 2017, which is understanding the elbow strain that Nicholas Batum had in October of 2017. He undergoes the surgery he comes back in six weeks, um, six or eight weeks. You know, he only missed like the first 12 games of their season, but that's because he suffered the injury early on in uh, camp. So mm-hmm. uh, it was during a preseason outing. Um, you end up looking, like I said, this article is from 2017, so I'm going to read a little bit. The average number of, this is quoting the article right now, the average number of missed games for confirmed UCL sprains in the NBA is about 21 games which is roughly six to seven weeks. But that includes several players that inc- that suffered partial tears. The season in which they talk about, uh, which was 2013-14, because they mentioned two injuries from that year, uh, Raptors forward Andrea Bargnani and Lakers guard Steve Blake both suffered a similar injury. Steve Blake missed 26 games with his injury, while Bargnani missed 40. So you're looking kind of like 21 to 40 if he if he's out with an injury, uh, with this specific injury, so I, I kind of think that's like what you like kind of base it off of. 
I don't think this necessarily is a season-ending injury. Um, unless, like, you know, he misses 40 games and the Clippers are well out of the playoff or playing spot. I, I don't think there's a reason to really not have him come back. Because you look at it and you end up looking at his, his games played. He played 26 of the first 32. Now, obviously, he's missed, he's missed the last 10 or so. Um, if he misses another 30, that puts him around the end of the regular season at about game 70 to 75. And who's to say whether or not the Clippers will be in the, in the playing contention by then? We, exactly. we have no idea. Yeah. Of speculation. But I, I kind of think that should be the plan is – and I'm totally okay with that being the plan is what I should say. Not, not, not that's what I think it should be the plan. I think that's what the plan could be. And what a, a plan I w- I'm totally fine with is they keep pushing it until they see what the, what it's really going on with the team on the floor, with the team off the floor, what it's looking like in the standings before making the call. I don't think it's something they need to do right away. It's not, it's not a decision you need to make January 19th, essentially is what I, is where I'm at. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. We, we... There's just no reason to rush right now. There's there's too much on the line. There's I don't think there's enough known yet maybe to commit to it. Um, that there's a chance he might end up having the surgery. Like it's not like let's make that clear. It's it's not like a hundred percent for sure that he's avoided it. Like we, I think they they are a little Correct. bit unsure, which is why they want to give it more time. And there's still a chance he could need it. Um, but I I just feel like. Again, it's a last resort thing. It's something you want to make absolute sure he needs before you commit to doing that because the rehab for that is going to be, oh, pretty lengthy. So um, that's kind of where we're at with that. But I, I also wonder how it affects the Kawhi. Like if, if if PG comes back at a certain point, would Kawhi be more enticed to return? Or if PG doesn't return, does Kawhi still fight as hard to return? Like how do we – I wonder how that affects him and how you know his decision, but – that's a whole nother you know, conversation. It's just going to be a long road to recovery one way or another for PG. But uh, speaking of long roads, and that's a great segue into the eight game road trip that currently the, the Clippers are currently starting on, which is the longest road trip for them this season. Uh, it's a doozy. Um, before we get into it, we'll just give you the overarching aspect of everything. Going back to their game on January 13th in New Orleans, this will be, I believe, the Clippers' 11th, 11th straight games. Well, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Yeah, it's 11 straight games where they will have played in a different city for all 11 games. Uh, they will not have played a game in the same city twice, essentially is what I'm trying to say. Because uh, they started in New Orleans, and then they were in San Antonio, then they came home to play the Pacers. And they're, they're doing these 11 games in 18 days in 11 different cities. I mean, you can make case it starts at home, no? With Denver? Denver, one, two, three, four, five. Well, different oh. cities, no. Oh, you mean like no, not repeating? Got it. Okay. Yeah, not non repeating cities, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they. So. <laughs> insane. Yeah, I mean, 11 games in 18 days in 11 cities is absurd. The road trip starts Wednesday night in Denver. Uh, the winner of that game takes a two to one season series advantage. And the final game with the Nuggets is on March 22nd. That's also in Denver. But, um, yeah, they have a little slight edge in the tiebreaker, whoever wins that game. But Denver looks like a team that's going to finish in the top six. So I'm not sure how much the tiebreaker will come into play, but we'll, you never know in the NBA. So it's Denver Wednesday night, Philadelphia Friday night, the Knicks on Sunday afternoon uh, dur- during NFL playoff football. Got to love that. 
Of course. Tuesday night, they're in the nation's capital. The next night, Wednesday night, the 26th, they're in Orlando on the second night of a back-to-back. Then they play Miami next Friday. They play Charlotte uh, next Sunday afternoon, also another NFL day. That's just insane scheduling. But they finish up the road trip in Indiana on Monday, January 31st, which is the second night of a back-to-back. So there you go. Eight games, eight different cities, two back-to-backs. Uh, they have a five and seven to finish that, that sequence off. Tomer, this is a nightmare. This is this is a nightmare of a, of a road trip in terms of fatigue. And by the time you get to the end of that road trip, it might look like a whole hot pack of ass. The whole reason they're having this road trip is because the Grammys are supposed to be held in L.A. And, oh, the Grammys were canceled. The Grammys were postponed. January 31st is no longer happening. So the entire season schedule that was built around this um, is basically unnecessary. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. It, it is what it is at this point. But, um, yeah, I, when I look at it, I, I see probably three wins for the club. I think three three – I think a three and five road trip would be should be considered successful, given the you know the the amount of cities that they travel to in such a short period of time. Um, I I don't see how how you can ask this team has already been shorthanded to do e- e- even more. I, I mean, I think like like we said at the top of the podcast, you take whatever wins you can get, uh, no matter how they get them, and you kind of just run with it. Um, I I really am not sure what to expect. As far as um, you know, if they go better than three and five, I think you absolutely have to be you take that. You you are happy with that. Uh, if they go three and five, I, I think that that's kind of what I'm guessing they go. Um, given you know you look at to me the winnable games are probably Washington, Orlando, and um, it, it's it's a mix to me between Indiana and Charlotte. That is a back to back. But I think I, I think that there's one of those games like we just saw Indiana has been struggling. Miles Turner has been is going to be out indefinitely. Who knows if they have half the roster traded by then? Uh, it sounds like they're trying to have a fire sale. So um, who knows what could happen there? I think there's 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 some very winnable games for the Clippers there. They just got to capitalize. So my guess for this road trip is probably three and five. I'm not going to try to pick a record to be honest. I just think if they get two wins, that's a win at this point because. Like, that's just a brutal road trip, you know? So um, you brought up Indiana possibly trading guys. And I kind of think that needs to be a theme for this road trip because the trade deadline is February 10th. So we're like three weeks away from that. And when they get done, by the time they get to the Indiana game, they'll be 10 days away from that. So who knows how many of the players on any of the teams they play are even going to be there. Like, for, for instance, Washington can make a deal. Orlando can start trading guys. Charlotte could swing a deal for somebody. Indiana could overhaul their roster. Like we don't, we don't know anymore. And that's what kind of makes this road trip fascinating is by the time the Clippers get back home, which is February 3rd, that's their next home game. By the time the Clippers get back home, like who the hell knows what any of the teams they just played on that road trip end up looking like. Hey, they, they and they come back to face the Lakers. So that's yes. another team that could be making a move. You, you never know. So sorry to mean to cut you off, but like there's just endless possibilities in the next couple of weeks, Um, even for their team. Like they, they probably, you know, they might not make a move, but there's, I think they always leave the door open for something to happen. So I could be looking at a very different team. They're very different teams all around the NBA in a few weeks. So the funny part about this road trip, by the way, is right now they've played 27 home games. 
They've played 18 on the road. So by the time they're done with this trip, they'll play 27 home games, 26 road games, basically have a split schedule from there on out. So yeah, the, boy. The, the season was, was home heavy December road, heavy January simply for, for, for the, for the Grammys. Uh, and and now the games are postponed. So I don't know. It's just it's just a little upsetting when when you look at how many five and sevens they had, um, how many kind of road games they have squeezed together, and it's it, it you know the season's now just like it goes on. But the entire reason it was scheduled this way is postponed. You know what I mean? So it's like it's tough. It's tough. By the way, it's really like looking at their post All Star break schedule. It's really dumb. It's really dumb how this was scheduled. Their first game coming out of the All-Star break is quote-unquote on the road against the Lakers, okay? So technically they're on Los Angeles. And then they play a home then they play on the road of basically what amounts to two straight games at Houston and then come back home to play the Lakers. Like And who then they play the Rockets this? again after, don't they? Uh no, no, the Rockets game the the first Rockets game was before that. It was oh, the, okay. the first Rockets game is the last game before the All-Star break. Oh, which, okay, 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 got it. So it's like home game against the Rockets, All-Star break, road game against the Lakers, but you're still in L.A., then two straight games in Houston, and then back home against L.A. It's like, who the hell decided this? Who thought oh. this was the the optimal plan as far as this goes? So Just awful schedule. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for a positive for the Clippers, and we've talked about how they're road-heavy for January – and how home heavy they were in the beginning of the season. They do finish up with quite a few home games. Um, they finish up with, let's see if I can do the quick math. They finish up with six of their final eight at home. So now they're not all against easy competition. Like they play Philadelphia, they play Utah. Um, then they have a road back-to-back at Chicago and at Milwaukee, which will not be easy. But then they finish up with New Orleans, Phoenix, Sacramento, Oklahoma City, Phoenix is the only one of those teams who conceivably could have something to seriously play for. Maybe depending on how new Orleans and Sacramento do in the play-in race. So, I mean, it, it's going to be an interesting end of the season, but you know, this is, this road trip is going to, this road trip is going to define everything for them this season. Cause if they have a bad road trip and I'm talking like one in seven, if you want to classify two and six as bad, that's fine. But if they go one and seven or even oh and eight, like this, this could like you could see people get sold off for like something in order to kind of ease the way into next season. Maybe I'm not saying they will do that, but you could see it. There's a possible scenario for that. But if they do well on this road trip, and we're talking four and four, five and three, God forbid six and two, which I don't see happening. I don't even see five and three, but let's just say it. Um, that completely changes the calculus for the team and their mentality going into February when the schedule does lighten up just a tad. Yeah. I, the, the road trip, I don't think they go, I mean, I, I don't think they go 0 and 8 or 1 and 7. Um, but they, they very well could. I just don't think that they will. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime you have a road trip that bad, if it doesn't have been that bad, uh, you, you need some kind of, it, it almost signals like, okay, we need something to change. And, you know, while, while this roster kind of, you know, like we said, is what it is. It's a roster meant to be constructed around stars. Um, you definitely have to look at next year when you have to pay guys like potentially Isaiah Hartenstein or um, Amir Coffey, depending on if you even let him get to that next year. So um, you look at who's expiring, you have to 
make decisions. So this road trip, yeah, definitely could could could, could tell us a lot. Um, I also think a, a, a lot more will be defined by the time they come back in terms of um, how the Minnesota Timberwolves played while they were away, how the Lakers played, how the Blazers played, the Kings played, all the teams that are below them or right around them. So it's going to be it's it's going to be a lot. It's going to tell us a lot by the time they come back home on February third. So because they are on this eight game road trip, you guys are going to get a, a few more podcasts in the coming two weeks or so. Because Tomer and I don't have anywhere to go, we don't have to go to Staples Center, Crypto.com, whatever. We're home. We'll be playing Call of Duty. We're going to be podcasting. You cool with that, buddy? <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm cool with you just revealing my plans. I'm planning to double shotty it up on everyone else without them knowing, but now they all know. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, sounds good. I'm, I'm hoping to pot some more as well. I haven't been potting as much. Recently started my own, so definitely going to get into a rhythm yeah, there. plug that? Plug it. Plug it. Oh, I mean, we just, it's called Clipper Confidential. We just recorded our, I want to say our second episode. Uh, I kind of I tried out a solo pod, so if you guys want to check that out and support that out, it's called Clipper's Confidential. It's available ooh, pretty much everywhere, I would say. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Let me know if you guys like it or hate it. I don't mind either answer. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much that. Buddy, this was fun as always. Um, folks, we'll see you all very soon, probably even on Friday. So look for that on Friday morning. Probably going to try to record at the end of Thursday. Uh, once again, if you're listening to this when it dropped, Wednesday, this is Wednesday's podcast. You know, they're playing Denver on Wednesday night. It's going to be a big game. If the Clippers win, they're back to 500, baby. If not, it is what it is. And they got to go all the way to the East Coast to play Philadelphia to start on Friday. So a podcast will be out on Friday morning for you all to digest and kind of enjoy over the weekend. Tomer, as always, it was a blast. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Everybody else, I hope everybody stays safe and, you know, has a happy, almost a July. Oh, my God. I don't even know what month we're in anymore. Happy, happy January. January. You Maybe you're listening to this. What'd you say? I said happy January. Oh, happy January. Okay. Yeah, everybody stay safe. We'll talk to y'all later. As always, be good. Be good to people. Be kind. And yeah, that's it. That's all I got for you guys, folks. Tell me, you got anything? Uh, I I don't. You pretty much covered it all. God, I'm good. <laughs> I'm the goat, baby. I'm the goat. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> 